0: Seated. to do so let's now together as God's people take our copy of God's word and we will turn together to our passage for this morning and the week ahead of us and that is Hebrews chapter 13 verse 17 so Hebrews 13 uh, Hebrews chapter 13 verse 17 now we are doing as we've done for the past several years in January we're spending these few weeks in this month asking the question. What does God say about? We've used this series to look at some hot topic issues, some what may be kind of controversial things out there. Uh, but as we said last week, since we have been studying the book of Acts for the past year, we want to spend this month looking at what does God say about the church in and, and some different ways. And so last week we looked at that church exactly. What does God say about the church? What does God want us to know from him through his word about the church? And this morning, that's going to lead us then to ask, and, and Lord willing, answer answered then the question, what does God say about church membership? It's what he says about the church at large, but what does he say to us about this formal relationship that is made with the church through church membership? What does God say to us about church membership? As we prepare to look at this, I, I want to I say this first. Uh, we are very thankful here at our church for all of our visitors. Thankful that the Lord has led you here for his time. And we pray that we are a blessing to y'all as y'all are to us. And I want to say that because pastors can be notorious for being passive aggressive. Not always trying to get to the point, but to be passive aggressive about it. And I can be guilty of that as well. Uh, sometimes uh, I try to do it jokingly. Sometimes it's probably serious. Um more often than just, but like I said, sometimes it can be serious, you know. You know that's between you and Jesus, or, you know, if you love Jesus, and you'll do this, right? Sort of passive aggressiveness. So I, I say that, and I admit that, I admit to all that, and say this. The sermon is not meant to be passive aggressive. It's not meant to be a passive aggressive recruiting tool aimed at our visitors. We just want to think through, what is it that God wants to know about church membership? That this is what the church is talked about last week, then then what does this formal relationship with the church look like? So I want you to be aware of that. It's not passive aggressive. However, if the Lord does work on your heart in such a way this morning that you say, I would love to join the church, then I was definitely not being passive aggressive. I was being very direct to you and we'd love to talk to you at the back door about joining the church. Um, But this is for everybody here this morning. What does God want us to know about church membership? Let me pray for us and we'll go into our, God's word together with His blessings. So let's pray, Lord. We pray for that exactly this morning for your for your blessings upon this time. As we look about, as we look at this this formal relationship with the church of church membership, pray that you would guide us in our understanding, and uh, that we will not think of this through uh, worldly eyes and worldly minds and hearts. We will instead think of this and look at this uh, through your mind and heart, which we find in Scripture. May we obey all your will. May we live only by your will. And may it be by your will that you are glorified this morning in and through the preaching of your word. We pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Let's stand together now for the reading of God's word. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. As those who will have to give an account, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, For that would be of no advantage to you. The grass withers and the flowers fade. The word of our God stands forever. Amen. You may be seated. If you're around the church for any amount of time, around other Christians, you find there's all kinds of types of Christians out there. All sorts of categories and then boxes you can fit them into. And one of those types of of, of Christians and people in the church are those who are hyper-literalists. And by that, I mean they, these are people who are, who are so hyper-literal in their interpretation of Scripture that they easily fall into the temptation of making a choice, making the choice to not believe in a certain biblical doctrine simply because that specific word or title of the doctrine doesn't appear in the Bible. It's hyper-literalism uh, run amok, run extreme. And so one of the big examples of that And these type of people choose to not believe in the doctrine of the Trinity. That there's not a three in one, one in three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Triumph, Godhead. They choose not to believe in the Trinity because the word Trinity doesn't appear in the Bible. So if you were to do a word study of the Bible for the word Trinity, you won't find it. And so because of that, these people choose then to reject the doctrine of the Trinity, the idea is, well, if the Bible doesn't say Trinity, and doesn't define it from that word, then it must be a false belief. So because of their hyper-literalism, they refuse to see that although the word Trinity is not used in Scripture, and is not defined to their liking, they refuse to see that the doctrine of Trinity is very much implied, and taught by example throughout the Bible. It starts right there in the creation story. Some of you have memorized Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, who created the heavens and the earth? God. hoping a little bit quicker answer on that, but we got there. It's good. Right. It's God, right? Not, not Ikea. Uh, but God. In order from Amazon, God created the heavens and the earth. And then who in verse 2 was hovering over the waters of the earth? The Spirit. So right there, right there, in the beginning of Scripture, we're introduced to God and then the Spirit. Then we take Genesis, I'm sorry, Colossians 1, It tells us that all things were created through and by and for Jesus. And we, we we look at Colossians 1 Genesis 1, 2 together, and what do we get? Oh, the Trinity was involved in the creation of all things. And then we look at the creation of man. And do you remember what God said? Let us make man in our image. As we said before, that's not a sign of a schizophrenic God. It's the God has speaking within himself, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, saying, we're going to make man in our image, the image of the of God, and that has huge implications for who we are, who we've been created to be. So right there in the creation story, we have the, the, the implications, the example of the Trinity. We go to the book of Psalms. We see Psalm 110, where it says, the Lord said to my Lord. Now again, are, are there two different lords of his life? Notice the Father and the Son talking. We get a picture part of Trinity there. And then we go to the New Testament. You remember the baptism of Jesus? Jesus was baptized by, by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. And as he, came out of, as he came out of the water, whose voice did he hear? The Father's. And then who descended like a dove? The Spirit. Never says Trinity. Right there, in the baptism of Jesus. Son being baptized, the Father saying, "This is my Son, whom I'm well pleased." And then the Spirit descending down like a dove. So even though the word Trinity is not used in the Bible, it's very much implied. It's very much taught by example throughout the Bible. And the same is true for church membership. No matter how hard you look, you will not find a verse or a passage in the Bible that says church membership. You'll never find a direct command to to believers that they are to maintain membership roles or to establish membership procedures. There's no word study of the word church membership. There's no examples in the New Testament of there being written membership lists of churches being kept. We don't go to to Galatians or or Philippians or or to Romans and see the church membership role there. of Those who were included and those who were not. We don't see Paul writing to a church given them procedures about church membership classes and and who should be a member and and who shouldn't, you will not find a verse or a passage in the Bible that directly commands believers to maintain membership roles or establish membership procedures. But while it's never directly commanded, it is most definitely implied and taught by example. We go to Matthew 18. And Jesus gives the church step-by-step, step-by-step instructions for dealing with a brother. That's a professing Christian. But dealing with one who falls into sin. How should the church deal with a church member who's fallen into sin? Paul uses even stronger language to describe the removal of an unrepentant brother from the church. He lives at in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And he's looking at a professing Christian who's led a grossly immoral life. Very much implied in those are church membership. And you have the fact that Paul wrote primarily to churches. And in some parts of those letters he's he's writing as if to members of the church on how to properly be the church. We even come to our passage this morning that has the strong implications of church membership. Obey your leaders, submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls. That's very much implying church membership. So all that to say is that even though church membership isn't identified explicitly by name, it's very much implied and taught by example throughout the Bible, it is a biblical doctrine and practice. Which means then that God wants us to know what he says about church membership. If this is what's in the Bible, if this is what he wants for us, then he wants us to know about church membership. So what is it that God wants us to know? about church membership. First, I believe that God wants us to know that a Christian is meant to commit to a church. A Christian is meant to commit to a church. Now, commitment is one of those words and ideas that seem to wane over the decades. As a society and culture, we've become more and more comfortable with less and less commitment. We pick and choose what we want to be committed to. No matter what the commitment level may be that's asked of us, we will only commit as much as we want to to whatever we want to. And that's just as true in and for the church. I like how one pastor says it. Many bowling leagues require more of their members than our churches do. That's true, isn't it? There's more required of a bowling league, our sports team, our society, than we require out of the members of our churches. Why? Why are we like that? Well, because of the lack of commitment that's become so prevalent in the world and prevalent in the church. And I think it has something to do with what's called FOMO. For us older people, as an acronym that means the fear of missing out. And it's something that's studied and talked about FOMO comes from a perception of missing out on something. And from that fear of missing out on something, then it's followed up with this compulsive behavior to maintain what they fear they've been missing out on. And that's in part what they say folks are so tied to their phones, is that Fear of missing out. If I don't have my phone, I'm going to miss a text. I'm going to miss a, a, a Snapchat. I'm going to miss a, a, a Be Real notification. I'm going to miss something. And so we have built up this fear of missing out. We have built up FOMO. And I think that when it comes to institutions such as the church, there's a fear to commit to church because when you commit to the church, then you may miss out on other things. It's a fear of missing out on other things. So I don't want to commit to a church. Because when you make a church a priority commitment, then it means that there are other things that will be deemed of lesser importance and commitment. And there's a fear of that. There's not this fear of, what if I miss out on something else because of my commitment to church? What if my kid misses out on something else because of my commitment to church? If we make a church our highest, one of our highest commitments, we may miss out on something else. And so we don't want to commit. The church is meant to be a commitment, isn't it? That's implied there when it says here in our passage to obey or submit to your leaders. That's a a language of, of commitment, isn't it? To obey or submit to those who have watch over your souls. I mean, when you join a church, You make visible your commitment to Christ and to his people. Membership is one of those ways that we raise the flag of our faith. You state before God, you state before others that you are a part of this local body of believers. You are committed to this church. How many of Paul's letters were written to individuals? Start thinking through that. Just a handful, not many. And they were written mostly to pastors. The majority of his letters were written to local body of believers to, to churches. There was the assumption from Paul that he could write to a church because that's where the Christians would be. And we come to the book of Revelation where we're offered this vision of Jesus, of heaven, of what's to come. But who's first addressed in the book of Revelation seven churches. The assumption that Jesus will address the churches because that's where the Christians will be. The Bible doesn't know of Christians floating around in in, in just me and Jesus' land. It assumes believers belong to church. Disciples of Christ are committed to his church. Church membership makes a statement that this is what is important to you. This is what you have deemed to be important to, you're dedicated to. This is how you want to raise your family. It's saying, this is my commitment. And so taking those membership vows is in a sense saying, I am committing myself to this group of people. And I trust they are committed to me. And I am here to give more than I get. I'm committing myself to this body of believers. Because that is what God desires of me. What does God want to know about church membership? That we are called to be committed. From this commitment comes identity. Commitment shapes our identity. When we become a Christian, our identity is now changed. Paul likes to use this phrase, in Christ. It's a popular phrase for him. And and, and that's what, in part, what he uses it for is say, when you become a Christian, you're now changed. You are now in Christ. Your life is now hidden in His. His death becomes your death. His resurrection becomes your resurrection. You are now in Christ. You are a part of Christ. And we see that even with the name we take upon ourselves as Christians. What's the first part of the word Christian? It's Christ, the title of our Lord and Savior. Our identity has been changed. We no longer belong to the world. We belong to Christ. No longer are we slaves to Satan in the world. We are now slaves to our Father in Heaven and to His righteousness. And in that identity, we find our commitment of membership to the church. I've been here long enough to know, for many of you, who your favorite college team is. It's not because I'm some great Presbyterian Sherlock Holmes. It's because you wear your team's colors. Some of you would even dare wear Clemson Tiger pants to church. Put the paw on them. That's between you and Jesus. But we wear the colors. We have the shirts. We have the hats. We have the stickers on our cars, right? We, in a sense, make that a part of our identity. And when it gets to football season, that's an important distinction to make, right? Very quickly, they say, look, I'm a game Gamecock. I'm a Tiger. If we get down to school level, I'm a Richard winning Eagle. I'm a Bendipin Falcon. We have one pack panther here. We're a diverse congregation. But the same is true with church and church membership. When you join a church, you are, in a sense, putting on the jersey and uniform of that church. And you are telling to others, I am a member of Bethel A.R.P. And that becomes a sense of identity. And Lord willing, that's a good identity in our community. There's an encouragement this morning to hear in Sunday school, uh, one of our church members uh, approached my friend at the grocery store. Aren't you a member of Bethel A.R.P.? Yes. I'm looking for a church. I think I want to check out. Your church It's a sense of identity. If we identify with those others of, uh, in the fellowship of the church. We, we, we identify with those who are keeping watch over our souls. Becoming a member of a church helps shape our identity. But more so... We are identifying with Christ. See, Bethel ARP is more than the pastor. It's more than sessions. more than diaconate. It's more than the the, the, the organ and the pews. It's it's, it's more than all this. The church belongs to Jesus. Paul says in Ephesians 1, Jesus is the head of the church, which means that Jesus is the head of Bethel ARP. He's appointed a pastor to serve you. He's appointed a session, a diaconate. He's appointed those to serve you. But... He is the head of the church. So when you join this church, or you join any Christian church, then you are choosing to publicly identify with Jesus. You're making a public statement that Jesus is your king. And you are now a part of his kingdom. And in that kingdom, you are a part of his church. And joining a church, you're making a public statement that your identity now rests in Jesus Christ alone. And now you're going to be a part of his church. Because now, ultimately, your identity is shaped by the one who loved you and saved you. It's shaped by the one who called you out of sin and darkness into grace and light. It's shaped by the one who pulled you off the road to hell and put you on the road to heaven. By becoming a member of a church, by being a member of a church, you are setting publicly your identity in Jesus Christ. He is my Lord and Savior. He is my King. He is the head of the church, and I am his. Commitment and identity, they're important. But I think the most important thing God wants us to know about church membership is Jesus Christ himself. There's a sense where the Bible dares us. It dares us to think about the church without thinking about Jesus. I want you to try that. Take a moment and try to think about church and separate it from Jesus. Think of a church, think of the church without thinking about Jesus. I'll give you to the count of three. Silently. You can't do it, can you? It, 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 it's, it's impossible to separate Jesus and the church. We can't do it. And the reason why is because that's exactly how God talks about Jesus in the church. I want to think about a couple of descriptions that God gives us about the church. The first one is the church is described as being the bride of Christ. We see it in Ephesians 5, Matthew 25, Revelation 19, and other places. That when, when God describes Jesus in the church, he talks about it as a bride and the bridegroom. Now think about that for a moment. Think about that relationship between a bride and her groom. It's never meant to be a casual relationship. T- till death us part. Through, through health, through sickness, through, through good and bad, through thick and thin, thick and thin, till death does part. That's not a casual relationship. The relationship between a bride and bridegroom isn't meant to be a here and there, now and again, sort of casual fling of relationship. No, the relationship of a bride and her groom is a relationship that speaks of love, speaks of commitment, and speaks of endurance, doesn't it? No, we love it when, when people celebrate their, their 50th, their 60th, their seventieth anniversary. That speaks of commitment. It's a relationship of emotional and mental intimacy. It is as close as a man and woman can be. And God chooses that relationship to describe the relationship of Jesus with the church. Then when Jesus thinks of Bethel, of the church, when he thinks of Bethel ARP, when he thinks of you and me, he thinks of his bride. His beloved bride. Not a buddy. not, not, Not a casual, good time, easy and fun sort of friend. His bride. That commitment, that love, that endurance, that intimacy. And and, and so strong is that identity. When we get to the book of Revelation, and we're told about the second coming of Jesus, we're told that when Jesus comes again, there's going to be a wedding feast. There will be a wedding feast where the table is going to be laid out, bowing down with heavenly food, and who will be gathered around it? It will be the church And there is Jesus at the head of it. There to celebrate that that he has brought his church home. This is how Jesus thinks of the church. Bethel A.R.P., we are his bride. And that's a relationship that speaks eternal volumes, doesn't it? But he also talks about the church as his body. 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Colossians 1, Ephesians 4. Jesus is the head of the body. He is the head of the church. What's a body without a head? What's a, what's a head without a body? It's nothing. And God chose to describe Jesus in the church with him as the head and us as the body. It's another description of, of, of intimacy and of commitment. This is why we cannot think of the church without thinking about Jesus. We are his bride. We are his body. And there is no separating the two. So I know what I'm getting ready to say next isn't popular to be said, but it needs to be said. The notion that we can replace the church in relationship with Jesus. It's false, it's unbiblical, and it is dangerous. Because we hear people say that, don't we? I don't I don't go to church, I go to nature. I don't need to church. I can find my own time with Jesus in other places. I don't go to church because it's filled with hypocrites. And they're right. Every place is full of hypocrites, right? We don't quit going to the grocery store because it's full of hypocrites. But we have this a false, unbiblical notion. It's dangerous. Because Jesus says where two or more are gathered, there I will be. What does that sound like to you? It sounds like the church, doesn't it? it doesn't it sound like a casual walk through the woods by yourself. It doesn't sound like staying away from church for whatever reason. Where two or more are gathered, there I will be. Nowhere do we find a notion where Jesus says, you know what? Skip church, do your own thing, it's all cool. He says, you're my bride. You're my body. And where two or more are gathered, there I will be. It's the church where Jesus promises to meet with his people through his Spirit. It's the church that he's given the means of grace to. It's the church that he came for. The only people invited to the wedding feast in Revelation 19 is the church. Another way to think of it, if you want Jesus, then you go to church. If you want to grow in Jesus, then you go to his vineyard, which is the church, for it's the church it is his bride and body. If you want Jesus, then you'll want his church. like Augustine said, you cannot have God for your father if you do not have the church as your mother. So this is what God says to us about church membership. I want us to end with this. I want us to to think through I want us to think through our commitment and our identity in Christ. I want us to think through the things that we may want to commit ourselves to more than church. And I want us to ask why? What's What's more important to us than Jesus? What's more important than coming to the very place where you hear about Jesus, where you are told about salvation, where you're told about his life for yours, his death for yours? What's more important than coming to the very place where we read and sing and and pray about a Jesus who takes us by the hand as our good shepherd and leads us the eternal promise of heaven that may very well sound passive aggressive but it's not meant to be it's meant to be food for thoughts Christ is committed to the church it is his bride it is his body it is who he died for it's who he is preparing to feast for in heaven That's the commitment of our Jesus. That's the identity set for us. And I want us to think through that. Let's pray together.